This podcast is brought to you by jewishpodcasts.org. Start your very own podcast today at jewishpodcasts.org. This Torah class is brought to you by torahanytime.com. Okay, first of all, thank you everyone for coming today to spend some time with me. I want to thank Zahava Wiener. Is she here? I don't know. Uh, hi. Thank you so, so much. You really deserve a great, great round of applause for making this happen. Um, and also for the Landers College, Hanhala, for giving us the opportunity to do this today. A little background. So, uh, I was trained as an orthopedic surgeon many, many, many years ago. And one of my rebbies was, was Rigda Miller. He was a great man. And he always told me that it was critical to help cholesterol in any way possible. So I would practice, say, 1 to 7 in the afternoon. And in the mornings I taught. Mishnah, Gemara, Halacha. That's what I love to do. Teaching Torah was my passion. Many of the boys that came to me were boys who were, you know, out of college or in college. And many of them seeking guidance on dating. And so I had to quickly get answers to these questions. As many of the, as I taught many of them, many of them came to me for guidance on that. And is she the right one? And then girls came, is he the right one? So you quickly develop a vikiyas and expertise on the subject as you start to see patterns. And then I moved to Miami and I taught Fesha Torah at the University of Miami for about seven years. We did a lot of kiruv there. Many people came to our house for Shabbos and Shabbat and stuff like that. Came back here really for one reason. Because I was concerned about my girls, Shidduch, and Baruch Hashem, I have seven kids. The first three were girls. And I wanted a certain type of boy, which I felt would be found more in New York. And uh, thank God, they all got married. Along the way, I taught many yeshivas. And then a couple of years ago, what I really kept under the radar, because I just do, enjoyed just doing it for the Klal, became very public. And then that went from one sheer on Torah anytime to 10 to 20. Today, there's 200 and, almost 240 lectures on dating. By the way, I have addressed many of the subjects that you guys can worry about out there. And if you have any questions, uh, you can go to the lectures on Torah Anytime. It's under Dr. Jack Cohen. I also do a lot of dating coaching worldwide with many people. I help people in terms of communication, selection. Many girls call me. Is he the right one? We talk about it. I do a WhatsApp video with a lot of people. So I'm always available. If you need me, you can call me at 305 206 Again, that's my cell phone. 305-206-1916. I do a lot of Shatchanis work. I basically cover the gamut of everything. Because I enjoy it. And if you enjoy doing something, most of the time you'll be very good at it. Let me read you a letter. And then I'll use that as the platform in which I want to show you what's going on here today. I am busy between 12 p.m. till 3 in the morning every day. We're dating. And after doing this for many years, you see patterns, you see, you hear stories. What can I teach you? What can I guide you so that you can avoid those mistakes? It starts with a letter from a girl who's now 29 years old. Growing up as the second youngest in a family of six, I watched my siblings marry one by one. I eagerly waited for my turn to start dating. Just after my 19th birthday, my parents started searching for me. I never would have imagined that I'd be dating for over a decade makes her 29. To be honest, back then, I had an overly romantic, unrealistic vision of marriage. I yearned for the perfect wedding and wanted my prince charming. Instead of focusing on core qualities I needed in a husband, I fixated on finding a real macher, a social guy, handsome and well-liked, who others would be impressed with. I really hit hard on this area today. This is where I see a lot of in the, court, in the clinic, as they say. It didn't help that my parents put me on a pedestal. They wanted the very best for their little girl. 
out of love and concern, they scrutinized every boy I went out with, searching for flaws and imperfections. It often seemed like no one was ever good enough for them. They rejected most of the boys even before I went out with them. I had always figured, I have a girl in Queens, she's 29 years old, I can't even set her up because the father attacks every boy with a half hour rip apart session. So, I see this a lot. I had always figured out I would marry the first guy I dated like a few of my siblings had. So when the first boy I went out with was not interested in going out on a second date, it felt like my idealistic world had come crashing down. My dreamy bubble quickly burst as several boys I dated indicated their lack of interest in continuing. That year and in the years that followed, the majority of the girls I had gone to school and seminary with, with got married. At 23, when my best friend Bracha, who was like a sister to me, got engaged, I, I'll admit, I really struggled. I rejoiced with her, but as we celebrated at the Lachaim and the Vor wedding in Sheva Brachas, I felt like I had been left behind. As sad and as alone as I felt, her marriage was a turning point for me. I started to reflect on why Shaduchim were not going for me. The more I reflected, the clearer it became. I had been putting far much too value on what others thought, and it came from a place of insecurity. Baruch Hashem, I recognized that if I kept searching for Mr. Perfect, instead of Mr. Right for me, I may never have found the person I ended up marrying. I needed to take the time to figure out who I was and what I wanted. I started working with a dating coach who helped me explore the source of my insecurities and empowered me to worry less about what others thought. This is a very big problem called the Yenta Trap. We start thinking of what we want, we develop an idea of what we want, based on what our friends have in mind for us, and not necessarily what's good for me. One of the things that I'm very big on is creating what's called the top 10 needs list. I'll get into that a little bit today. What do I need to make me happy? And I'll explain later on what is the difference between a need and a want, and where we get in trouble. So, she helped me identify a possible reason why so many boys I had gone out with did not want to continue with me. I have a strong, sometimes dominating personality. It became clear that I had been overpowering on my dates rather than expressing my softer, more feminine side. Which could be a problem today with Baruch Hashem, so many more girls now in the workforce. So many going on for professions. So many thinking that, you know, I'm good. I have money, I have a condo, things are cool, I have my own car. And that's a comfort zone that we don't want to go to. We don't want to get there. We just have to remember why we're getting married. And I'll explain in a second. I started to do a, pl- a lot of practical and spiritual ishtadlas. I joined multiple dating sites, met Shatchanim, asked friends regularly to speak with their husbands about their friends who might be a good fit for me. I started lighting Shabbos candles with oil as segula for marriage. I traveled to Israel, davening at Kavarim and pouring my heart out to Kosel. I joined Tehillim groups where single women davened for one another. I took care of myself by exercising regularly. I ate well. I kept busy with work and friends going on vacations to recharge, and traveling to Eretz Yisrael for Chizuk. I attended classes and workshops about Shaduchim and marriage and sought mentorship from Rebbeim. Most importantly, I discovered how to be happy with myself. That is such a critical point. When you're happy with yourself, you shine. When you're grateful with life, one of the things I tell all of my students and clients to do is to read the thank you card every day and create a list of 50 thank yous once just once, and read it to yourself every day. That's going to help you shine. That'll make you happy. When you are happy, good things happen to you. And you're not acting as if you're in a rut, and you're not unhappy or critical. So, I learned, most importantly, I had to discover how to be happy with myself, and learn to be vulnerable enough to express my softer, more more feminine side. 
One day, a few weeks after I turned 30, my cousin called me up and suggested Shimmy. He described him as a kind, confident man who knew how to get things done. But when I searched on social media, he looked so nerdy in his pictures. Once upon a time, in my day, I'm close to 58 now, we got married on blind dates. I don't know if that exists anymore. And we didn't know what he or she looked like. Okay, I can hear from the boy's perspective that I need to see a picture, but today it's quite quite common requirement from the girls they're telling me. What does he look like? Oh, he's a nerd, he looks like a geek, etc. So now, so when I searched him online, social media, he looked so nerdy in his pictures. Nothing like the cool guy I was typically interested in, and I was torn. What's more, he was 28, two years younger than me. But I learned an important lesson in my decade of dating. A minor age difference does not really matter. If he's the right one, so what if he's a little younger? And if we have a great connection and mutual attraction, so what if he wasn't a macher I envisioned marrying? By the way, do you want to marry a macher? Do you realize that in addition to the fact that he is who he is, he's going to want attention all the time? There's used to society kowtowing to him? Think about what you want. At 30, it was crystal clear. I wanted to build a home with the right person, whether or not he was Mr. Cool or not. And so when I met Shimmy, I immediately felt at ease. Being with him felt comfortable and familiar. That's key. Can you have a relationship with the boy where you feel like you're talking to a brother, to a good friend? So I felt secure to express my my feminine side. Shimmy was capable and self-assured, so I didn't feel I had to take the reins. Which is important. You need a guy who demonstrates leadership. Whether he's outgoing or not, but leadership is key. The woman wants to be the nitmach and not the tomech. The woman wants to be the supported, not the supporter. Baruch Hashem, Shimi and I got engaged after just 10 dates. After 11 long years of dating, I became finally a kala. And believe it or not, I didn't introduce Shimi to my protective parents right away. Only towards the near the, at the end, when I was getting ready to get engaged, did I do so. Thankfully, they quickly fell in love with him as, as I did. So what lessons can be learned from my story? One, don't be influenced by the opinion of others. Know what you want. Understand that you've created your top 10 list. Stick to it. In about 18 years of doing this, I've never seen it go wrong. Because now, you have your list to answer to, and not your friends. I spoke in L.A. at the beginning of last year. I got picked up by a very well-known rabbi, who was the person in charge for five classes, or should show him that I was giving. And he seemed to be down. He says, Moshe, what's going on? What's wrong? He says, I've been working on this shidduch between a guy and a girl for the longest. He was, they were ready to go on date number 11. He calls me up and he crashes it. So I asked the boy, why? He says, I showed the picture to my cousin. And he said, you're going to go out with her? She's not pretty enough for you. Gone. This is what happens when we're influenced by Western society. When I don't know what's good for me, but I'm allowing cousin or cell phone or WhatsApp chat to decide for me what is good for me. You've got to know what's good for you. You work it out. If you need help, you call a Rav or you call someone like me. It becomes clear. Once you have a GPS, you focus on that GPS. And the rest is just working your midos. And davening and it will come. For years I made the mistake of letting fear of what people might think guide my decision making in Shidduchim. Don't fall into this trap. Remember, you're the one that has to live with the person. No one else. Had I still been hung up on finding a macher, I might have left, let my perception of Shimi's nerdy picture influence my decision to meet him. 
And I would have missed out on meeting someone who makes me feel happy, safe, and secure. So be careful about rejecting on a whim. And had I let my parents get too involved, they would have dived into interrogation mode, questioning everything about him, which would have unnecessarily complicated things. Oftentimes, I see divorces so many times, because the decision was made by a parent who had to ensure that the boy or the girl met their social rama, their social standard. Not always good for the boy or the girl, or for their, for their son and their daughter. So I have to be careful with that. I'm glad I had the confidence and clarity to say yes before bringing Shimmy home to meet my family. Number two for girls. Again, not necessarily do I say this happens all the time, but let's see, you know, it, pay, it pays to listen to what she has to say. Don't overpower your dates. For all those strong women out there, there's nothing wrong with being intelligent. It's welcome, confident, or strong in your opinions. These are tremendous qualities. But don't make the mistake of overpowering the men you date. Share in conversations, don't dominate them. You don't have to prove to the world you're going to be a lawyer or a doctor. No one really cares. The most important thing they want to know is that will you be a good wife? Will you listen? Will you support? Will you emotionally connect? Even if you don't agree. And don't make him feel like he's in competition with you. Very important. Being feminine doesn't mean putting on heels, being meek or happily agreeing with everything the boy says. But it does mean being softer and less dominating than you might be in your professional life. Especially for many of us who are in classes here that are going on to careers. And you will have two worlds. One in which you have to mix it up with the competition professionally. And then you have to come home and be the Jewish wife. With the right man, you'll be able to express your feminine side while being the strong, confident woman that you are. To which I want to now ask the, uh, the famous question. Why do we get married? What's it all about? If you want to say that Hashem created us in order to be able to serve Him, it makes much more sense if I'm a bachelor or a bachelorette. Why do I need the obligations and responsibilities that marriage brings? Right? It's only going to stall me. It's only going to create a roadblock in my service to Rabboni Shalom. So what do I need it for? Right? Now I have to go to work. I have to make a living. I have to take care of bills, expenses, diapers, go shopping, etc. What's it all about? Wouldn't it be much easier if I didn't get married? This way I could serve Hashem fully. And the answer is no. The tshuva is very easy. The first time it says the word Ha'adam, Rashi tells us in Sefer Bereshit, that creation was a combination of male and female together. And Hashem says, where there is no combination of man and female, I cannot come down here. Your job in this world is to create a Jewish home so that Shekhinah can reside there. So I have a dira for myself. But if there's a lack of male and woman together, forget it, it's not happening. Why is that? Because all of you, I'm assuming all single here, are only chatzi goof. When you accept and you, and you say, and you say, and you accept the ring when the boy tells you, now you've got the combination. And now Hashem says, that's the dira that I want to live in. And so we ask the question, so why do we need this world? If we could just live up there and not have to bother with this world. And the answer is like this. We need the framework of marriage in order to polish us. When we want to say what's on our mind and we're upset, but no, we can hold back, that's how we get polished. When you change the diaper, that's Avodah HaKodesh. When you go shopping and you, and you cook for Shabbos, that's the greatest way to serve Hashem. And the way that you get polished is in the home. By building that home and dealing with all the 
responsibilities that entails and all the tests and struggles, that's why we get married. So we can earn Olam Haba. And we earn it through building that framework of being married. The dating process. Should I judge with my emotions or with my head? And I, I talked about this a little bit, and that is like this. Many of us, many people out there make the mistake, falling in love is all about the heart. Orthodox Jewish belief is a little different. We feel that we make the decision with our heads. We do that by creating a top ten list. Successful dating calls for introspection and work, and no other way. Zapping the romance out of courtship is taboo in Western society. Everyone wants to go on a, on a romantic interlude. The whole process is shrouded in mystery and there's a conspiracy to keep it there. It's as if we Jews too are obligated to maintain our misguided loyalty to the secular view of falling in love. Many of those people out there would rather fantasize about walking blissfully into the sunset than discussing the specific character traits they seek in a partner in order to be happy. You know, I was visited by a young girl from Muncie about a year ago, who um, was eight months married and then divorced. Actually, she's such a tzaddikis that she brought her brother to tell me the story because she didn't want to speak Lashon Hara. She did absolutely no homework on the boy, zero. Within a couple of weeks after they're married, he's getting drunk every Friday afternoon with his friends. It gets only worse when he leaves his cell phone in front of her and she sees what's going on in there. He's already having an affair with someone. And... The problem it gets a little complicated because there was someone in, in the yeshiva, the wife of someone in yeshiva, where he learned. So, it's so important that we do our due diligence and we do our research. And I'll get into that a little bit later and to understand that we're looking for midos. That's so important. We have a heartbreaking number of single people in our Jewish community who have no understanding of what they should be looking for, for not, or not the awareness that they need guidance. Because secular notions of the ideal husband has unfortunately crept into our homes and has affected us deeply. We are more superficial than our bubbies and zadies would ever have dared to be. We care only about for the boys a top, a top, uh, top girl's size two, or a top learner or top earner for the girls. Worse, there are a staggering number of unhappy marriages and divorces because people are getting married based on the wrong criteria. Because they refuse to open their eyes during the dating process and then they wonder what went wrong. It's like buying a tiny sports car for a family of nine. And then you want to go shopping. You're going to have to go four times to the supermarket to get there. So we have to gain clarity in what we truly need in a partner. And then make the necessary shtadlis to help us find the right one. And I'll continue with that, uh, with that theme. We are all spoon-fed fantasy tales and romance stories from early childhood. They're captivating, they're exciting, and they always have a happy ending. As much as we try to shelter ourselves from the society's notions of wealth, romance, and love, fairy tales have become a significant part of our subconscious reality, that we're not even aware of their presence. We assume that when we begin to date, we will simply fall madly in love, or be financially set for the rest of our lives, just as this young girl thought. We expect our Prince Charming to carry us off to his castle. Unless you think that we're above fairy tales with our insulated lifestyles because we're Jewish, 
being sure that we just have as many destructive ideals as the secular world. We yearn for the most brilliant masmid, whether or not we actually deserve him, or fantasize about the beautiful home that we'll have and the great income that will come with it. The fact is that a relationship involves a great deal of work. Not just being married requires work, but when you date requires work. Understanding, and I'll get this a little bit later, who I am, what are my needs, what do I want, what will make me happy, is he growing? Some of the things, for example, that I always, when I create a top 10 list for, some, for girls, I'll say, is he generous? Is he generous with his time? Is he generous with his money? Another one that I want you girls to look out for. Does he have anger issues? That's like living in Gehenna. Is he a cop then? Does he have to have it his way? Is it my way or the highway? I just had a girl who called me up. We did a consultation from New Jersey and uh, date number six. And, it's, and this is the problem, which I was able to fish out of her. And I said to her, does he give you choices? Does he, does he, does he care about your opinion? No. I think the problem is he's dominating. I have a, she's an out-of-towner. She prefers to move out of town and be part of a Jewish community where they'll be involved in Kiruv. He dismissed her whole idea as meaningless. And I said to her, he's not for you. Tell him bye-bye. If you can't live your dream, and that dream is for you to be part of a Jewish community and to be, and he's not interested in that, then you have to now refine what you're looking for. And look for flexibility and put on that resume, wish to do Kiruv work out of town. Because that's what you enjoy. And you want to be able to give. Because at the end of the day, why am I here? I'm here because Dr. Jack Cohn likes to give. I have knowledge and if I could share it to help others, that's what you're here for. Hashem put you here, not necessarily to earn a living at what you do. Like the great question that Robert Soloveitchik once asked a person in a hotel. Who are you? He tells him, I'm a lawyer. And he asks him the question again, who are you? And he tells him, I'm a lawyer. And then he asks him again, Rabbi, are you hard of hearing? He says, no, you're not a lawyer, you're a Jew that practices law. Remember that. You're Jewish, you may be a PA, an RN, you might become a paralegal or a special ed. But you put here on a mission to do something, to use your talents and to use your abilities to change the world. To help Klal Yisrael. So ask yourself, how will I achieve that? And will the guy that I go out with help me achieve that? So, so like, for example, I just want to, sometimes I get that, I want to I jump start a little bit if I can find it. A lot of girls ask me the question, how do I know he's the one? So I'm going to get to that right now. Give me a second. Let's see if I can find it. Here we go. Does this guy match many of the needs of my top ten list? Two. Do we have similar hashkafa? Hashkafa comes from the word mishkafai, glasses. Are we looking at the world in the same direction? If I want six children or seven children, he's interested in 1.5 and a dog, like the American census, he's not for me. Right? If he's into... 
a very flashy lifestyle, and I'm very, very simple, I don't think that we have similar hashkafa. Two, that was two. Three, do we have similar goals of where we're going in life? Do we share similar values? Do I know what's important to him? I'm mentoring a girl, I kid you not, went out 30 times with a boy over four months and could not tell me what was important to him. They had never dug deep and developed any kind of emotional connectivity. Do you know what's important to him? Do you know what he dreams about? Do you you know how busy he is? Is he learning? Most important one, here's another good one. Does he have a Rebbe? Critical. Ikari Karim, I can't tell you how important that is. Does he have a Rebbe? Because if he doesn't have a Rebbe, you have a problem. You have no one to keep his feet to the fire. A girl came to me from the five towns last year, married maybe four months. The boy had gone to the Mir Yeshiva. This boy went from learning three hours to ten minutes. And some days not at that. And he was starting to miss, miss uh, Minion and everything. So the first question I asked, I said, she thought I was going to recommend divorce. I said, nothing doing. There's nothing wrong here. Does he have a Rebbe? Yes. Go talk to him now. Tell him what's going on with his Talmud. Fix the problem. And he fixed the problem. So the things that I'm telling you today, please remember, write them down. Does he have a Rebbe? So again, do I know what's important to him, to his family, his friends, Torah learning, career, material needs? Do we share our lives as we pr- proceed in the dating? Are you exposing your vulnerability? Which you have to do if you ever expect to dig deep and develop that strong emotional connection. Do we share expectations in the way we will have Panasa or raise a family? It's important. Do we share similar attitudes in life? Do we complement each other intellectually? That's important. If you can't have common conversation about what you like, what you enjoy, and you're not on the same radar screen, you've got problems. Here's a big one. Is emotionally available and stable. I've had three or four divorces. Some of my people that have come to me in my classes where um, the boys, the bulbs are not all plugged in right. There are problems. There was either OCD or there was borderline personality disorder. You have to dig. Have I seen positive midos displayed? That's important. Does he let his guard down after four or five dates and stop with the please and the thank you? Those are very, very important. Midos is key, by the way. Because Midos will frame most of your top ten list. Kind, considerate, warm, affectionate, helpful, appreciative, loyal, honest. Honest. I got a phone call from a Satmar girl who's now modern. Just about a week ago. Uh, with an issue. She's now divorced, she wants to get remarried, and uh, big dishonesty problem. A lot of infidelity was going on. So, um, to be careful, check for that. Do I look forward to being with him or her? That's a good one. I ask that girl, often to boys and girls, in between dates when they call me, I'm not sure, can you help me determine if he's the one or he's not the one? So do you look forward to being with him? Do you think about him on the days you don't see him? Is his appearance pleasing to you? If you're revolted by him physically, obviously he's not for you. But let's not get carried away with that. That can also take time to build. But the person has to be put together. 
has to dress properly, clean, take care of himself hygienically. And here's a good one, which really got me to think about pulling this from the very end. Because it touches base, it touches back on what I said about why we're here in this world. Will he bring out the best in me? Or am I just going to vegetate in this marriage? Can I see myself becoming the best me with him? Will he encourage me? Will he motivate me? Will, will he tell me, yeah, you're great, you can do it? That's important. Is he optimistic? Does he have Simchas So very important today. If this is a guy that wallows in sorrow, atzbut, depression, stay away. Cancer. Because you have a lifetime, a career of being married. You need an optimistic boy. You need someone who's happy. You need someone who knows how to bounce back easily after a challenge or a crisis. And I say that to you as well. Whatever I tell you that you should be looking for, by all means you should be developing and assembling inside your own selves. You need to be the best person you can become. So that's very important. Let's hear a story from a boy. My name is David. I'm 36-year-old, eligible Orthodox Jewish guy. I would like to take a few moments to talk to my fellow single people out there. Like many of you, I started on the dating scene at the age of 23. I was extremely accomplished from my young age, and I felt I needed a girl on par with that. That led me to come up with a list of requirements for my future wife. She should be beautiful, thin, outgoing, worldly, with it, accomplished, smart, achiever, bubbly but not too loud, have a good family, the list went on. You see how he's suffering from that disease? As soon as I started dating, I was bombarded with suggestions of girls who fit the bill. It was too overwhelming. Every time I went out with a great girl, I would get a call from a friend who had another fantastic girl for me. Each one sounded better than the next. I could barely concentrate on that girl that I was dating because I had so many options, which is one big test of the Eight Sahara. I can always do better. I can always do better. But if you have your top 10 list, you're squared away with that list. And the thought always reverberated in, in my mind, I probably could do better. And what if I could do better? At times, I got somewhat serious with a girl, but then I would notice certain imperfections. I would simply give up on the shidduch and the belief that I could get someone even more qualities that I was searching for. I look in awe at my friends who now have families and wondered, how were they so lucky? How had they found their near-perfect match so early on while I, Mr. Accomplished, was still looking? They weren't lucky. They were realistic. Big difference. Not once did I take a look at myself and my dating technique, which is why I came here today, for only one reason. To help you analyze your dating technique and see where you can to improve it. So now once did I take a look at myself and my dating technique and think that maybe I'm doing something wrong. Not once did I think that I had the wrong mindset. Now that I know that if I had a different mindset back then, I would most likely be married by now. Until recently, I was still looking for the same thing I was looking for when I was 23. What I'm realizing is that I think I want a younger girl, but younger girls don't want an older guy. 
And now guess what I'm getting? I'm being wretched for divorced women with kids. If only I had buckled down and realized one simple thing, there'll never be a perfect spouse. I know that sounds harsh, trust me though. I wish I realized that in my 20s. Instead, I was lost in the forest, bombarded with so many suggestions, that I couldn't focus on one. I always thought the next one would be more of this, less of that. Always sure that she's going to make me more happier. So here's an interesting thing that happened. I took a poll of my married friends recently. And I asked them if they thought their wives were perfect for them when they were dating. Almost every one of them was honest enough to tell me that no one thought she was perfect. Rather, she was good enough. Kodesh Kodesh in those words. Good enough. He thought she would make a great wife and a mother, was attracted to her, took it from there. They relied on the positives that they saw. You go out with a guy, you see a lot of good qualities, you're happy, you see some negative qualities. Ask yourself the question, what are those negative qualities? Are they on my list that I cannot compromise? Call a third party and have someone assess it for you. I tell you, I've never seen more of a need for people who specialize in this area, such as mentors, coaches, than today. Because there's so much confusion out there. And if it's something that you can overlook, you can move forward because your positives outweigh your negatives. But if it's something very specific that you can't, then it has to be dealt with. And you may have to call off the shidduch. So they relied on the positives they saw, took the step to engagement, got married, and have been working together to become the perfect people for each other. You heard that point? Working together. It never ends. Don't think for a second that it does. You want a great marriage? You start working on yourself when you're dating, and there's no such thing as sitting on your laurels the day after marriage. You work at it. Laura Doyle has a great book on, uh, I forget the name of that book. The Empowered Wife. Excellent book. Thank you. Yeah, by the way, it's a very good book for, book for girls to read. Yeah. Caught in this vicious cycle, here I am, 36 years of age and still single. And Bezat Hashem, I don't want any of you even to even get close to that. My current prospects are not as close to as good on target as the ones I had 10 years ago. I realize now where I was wrong, what I could have done differently. We pave our own path in life, and perfection is something to strive within ourselves, not something to look for in a spouse. Yes, you want to be perfect? Take care, take it upon yourself. But don't impose that on someone else. Because no one is going to be perfect. We all have flaws. Because if you do... And you take that attitude, you'll always be imagining someone more perfect. And that person really does not exist. Okay. So, as we sit here and we get ready to date, ask yourself some questions. What is my current level of religious observance? Don't consider for a second you're going to take a guy who's not observant or who's off the derech and you're going to bring him back. It doesn't work that way. The person that you choose has to be somewhere near you. Rebella Lopian was one of the great minds of the 20th century said, when he gave a lecture once on Shadduchan to boys and girls, he said, you need to be somewhere near each other. I prefer if the girl is a little bit more than the boy. 
Because the girl can always pull the boy up. Very difficult the other way around. You understand? But, but somewhere near there. Ask yourself, where am I holding religiously? And that's where I need to be when it comes to dating the boys. What are my talents and character strengths? Am I artistic? Am I musical? Am I athletic? Am I a creative thinker? Am I dependable? Am I loyal? Am I intellectual? Get to know yourself. Because the more you know yourself, the more clearly it becomes to figure out what you need to make you happy. What are your expectations? Again, what are my expectations and dreams for myself? Do I want a large family with children? Do I want to support a husband? While he learns in Kolel. Do we want to be active in community organizations? This is going to now create that road when you start looking and you start saying, aha, aha, he could be the one. Because he's now clicking with what I'm interested in and where I'm going in life. Do I have educational objectives? And do I need to find someone who is accepting of that? Who's not going to smother me and say you can't go to school. For that matter, you can't maintain a career. So after you've finished writing down your observations about yourself, go over them. It's very important. Understand your needs. Wants will never make you happy. Let me tell you what a want is. A want is tall. A want is rich. A want is worldly. A want is glamorous. I don't need a glamorous husband. A want is stylish. A want is classy. These are Hollywood values that have trickled into our culture and hold us back from dating effectively. And will a spouse like that help you fulfill your spiritual needs? I doubt it if he's glamorous. Be brutally honest with yourself when you create that list. Do you value the things on your list or is it put on there because that's what my friend would do? Talk to yourself. Will that make you happy? Don't let secular society dictate what you need. They think they have a clear picture of what's important in a husband. But look at their divorce rate, 75%. So they're not getting it right. Remove superficial qualities that the advertising world hoists upon us that have absolutely nothing to do with long-term happiness. Many of us, and many of my students, are astounded by how influenced we are by the values of the outside culture. And they will not provide long-term happiness. Okay. Checking out a shidduch. What kind of questions should I ask? Sava, what did I finish? Five? Okay, perfect. Excellent. How long do you know this person, in your case, boy? What's his family like? How do the parents get along with each other? The apple does not fall far from the tree. Even if they're divorced, that's not a problem if they're divorced, but how do they get along? Is it civil? What kind of relationship does he have with his parents? Watch out for avoidant behavior where he doesn't talk about his parents. Or he speaks negatively of his relationship with his parents. That would worry me. 
Who's the rabbi of the family? And what shul do they go to? Where did he go to yeshiva? Or school? What's his ashkafa? Do you know what direction he's planning on going to in the future? Does Torah play any role in his life? Does he make fun of his rebbies? Big red flag. What's his outlook on life? What lifestyle would he like to have? Does he have fun? That's very important. Just don't want a guy who sits all day with books. There's got to be a recreational side to him. What are his friends like? That's key. Who does he hang out with? Show me a person's friends and I'll tell you everything about him. Is he dependable? Is he flexible? We spoke about that. How would he react in an emergency? And we spoke about it again, we spoke about it before. Do you think he's emotionally stable? What's he looking for in a wife? And see if there's a connection between you and him. And do you think he'd be a good match for me? So there are a couple of things that I just want to gloss over quickly. Five common dating myths. One, the smartest and prettiest girls get married first. No, not always true. A woman who's very accomplished or attractive may receive more dates than some of her friends, but doesn't mean she'll meet the right person sooner than anyone else. Two, if you're dating a long time, you must really know what you're doing. Well, if you did, why are you dating for so long? So, there's a problem there. Maybe you need to have your dating technique improvised. Myth number three, if things don't click on the first date, we're probably not right to each other. Not unless it's a complete disaster. Give it a shot. Unless you see that the hashkafa is so off, or physical attraction can never happen, or you're two ships going in two different directions. What would be a reason not to go out again while we're there, say after date number one? Again, you want very different things out of life? You don't have compatible values and goals? You have a strong distaste for his personality or his appearance? Another key mistake. First impressions are always correct. Not always. People are not always themselves on date number one. They're nervous, they're scared, they had a bad day at work, not feeling well. It could be a million reasons. And last but not least, if we date longer, the qualities that bother me about the other person will work themselves out. Sheker v'kezev. Not at all. Between 10 and 20 dates, you should be able to wrap it up. And if it had to go longer than that, ask yourself why. Because when you date in the orthodox world, you get down to business quickly. Why? Because you came to my class. So you know what you're looking for. You're not wasting time. Because the more you date unsuccessfully, the more it's going to bring you down and burn you out. So you have to be very clear. Every date has to have a goal. The idea is, yes, you must have fun. I want you to have fun. But you've got to walk out of that date with some new knowledge that you didn't know the date before. I think I will end right here because I covered most of what I needed to cover. Again, anyone who needs me, please first, you should try WhatsApping me first because most of the time I'm on the phone with somebody. Uh, 305-206-1916. If you have any questions, I will be happy to hang around now. Have a little time. And otherwise, thank you so much for coming. And Be'ezat Hashem, I should be able to dance at all your weddings. 
just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.